This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 821. When I day one when I joined Grant's team, he used to underwrite a deal. I used to tell him two minutes. It's actually like 43 seconds. But I'm like, man, if I could underwrite a deal like Grant, then my whole life would change. What I do is I just take the number of units times the rents in place, not like what the broker's telling me, in place rents. And then I just use the occupancy of like 94 or 95%, depending on the marketplace. And then I just use rough numbers like, okay, my expenses typically in between 40 and 45%. And so I just, okay, this is what my NOI is going to be based on. Here's the income minus the expenses. Here's my NOI. And so I can solve for like on these bigger deals, they all trade at a cap rate. And so I literally can underwrite a multifamily deal, 300 units within two minutes. What's up, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, and the baddest real estate podcast in the world. Every week, we are bringing you stories, how-tos, and answers that you need to make smart real estate decisions now in this current and ever-changing market. I'm joined today by my co-host, Roberto Abasolo, who does a great job today, by the way, Rob. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. This was a fun one. You know, you and I walked out of this with brand new shiny nicknames. You are the skyscraper of real estate and I am the fire hydrant of real estate. And so, you know, I think people are really going to have to stick around to the very end to find out how how we got these self-dubbed nicknames. That is a great point. Make sure you, you check those out. This will be something funny. And when you see Robin Person, you're going to want to call him the fire <laughs> hydrant. <laughs> Today's guest is Ryan Secco, an airline pilot turned real estate investor who started buying some single family properties, turned that into multifamily, now runs a fund and is crushing it. And he gives some great advice for how to do everything I just said, as well as the right way to approach somebody to get into the right situation. I thought this was fantastic. Rob, what did you think about that? It was really good. It was, it was really good because it, he put himself out there in a way that showed value to someone else and solved the problem for them. And I think this is probably... I mean, there are so many lessons to take away from today's podcast, but the way that he approached it and his willingness to just get in the mud, get a little dirty, figure things out, and and really jump in the ring really set him apart to really have one of the most amazing career transformations I think I've ever heard of on this podcast. So I'm excited for people to hear his career unfold as we get into it for the next hour. Yes, sir. This is a great episode. You're going to listen all the way through and take some notes. Before we bring in Ryan, today's quick tip is simple. Show up with solutions and not just problems. Any human being can show up and say, hey, boss, there's a problem over here. That doesn't help. It's better to come and say, hey, here's a problem and here's what I've already done to try to fix it. What do you think and what could I do better? Be the person bringing the solutions in your world, not the problems. And by the way, and I have, a, I have a, another quick tip. Number two. Quick tip, light, all right? If you ever get intimidated by RE terms, RE means real estate, by the way, real estate terms, you don't know, NOI, cap rate, LOI, go to biggerpockets.com slash glossary. If you've ever heard us toss around abbreviations or things that really, you know, like terms, a lot of the times that can be found on the glossary and it could explain it for you. We do our best to always stop and rewind and explain anything that might might be a little too uh, you know, might be a little bit too too much of an acronym. You know, it gets a little, we get a little carried away with the like eight letter acronyms every so often. So yeah, go to biggerpockets.com slash glossary if you want to brush up. Yeah, I'm excited when he talks about the GQLMIP. Um I think that's one of one of the most standard real estate principles out there. So Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a deal machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Let's bring in Ryan. Ryan Seiko, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. A little background for our listeners. Ryan's been investing for about 15 years. He started in single family and small multifamily early on in the state of Arizona. Has 3 million invested, making 10 to 12 a month, fully passive now. And we will find out why that is later. Ryan has a love of flying and leveraged that passion into a new career. The biggest hurdle he overcame was the do-it-yourself mindset. And we are excited to hear all about this. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave and Rob. Always great to be here. Thank you for that. sounds like a lot of your foundation is built on being a pilot, which is important because I've learned the older I get how much the foundation of myself is built on looking at the world through the prism of a basketball player. It was like my first passion I ever had. So when I form a business, I build a team, I take an approach, I always see it analogous to playing basketball. I'm guessing that you're probably going to have something similar to being a pilot. Is that the case? For sure. And and, and look, I, I actually didn't even know I was going to be a pilot when I was growing up. My uncle, it was something that he always wanted to do. 
Uh, I was 17 years old. He was a builder. I wanted to buy my first uh, uh, house. And he looked at me, he says, son, you don't have any money. And so we were flying one day and he's like, I looked at him and I'm like, I could actually get paid to fly airplanes. And when he said yes, I was hooked. And so it was actually kind of a roundabout way for me getting back into real estate. But 1000%, I mean, aviation and flying uh, like basketball, there's just a lot of discipline. Uh, there's a lot of training. There's a lot of checklist. And so that's helped me tremendously uh, transfer the skill set that I've learned in my 20s into um, you know buying real estate and, and managing real estate. So 100%. Oh, yeah. I imagine that's very much like your pre-flight checklist, buying properties and knowing what needs to be done when they're bought. You have to have great vision, know and trust your instruments, rely on the information that other people gave you and trust that you're getting good info. People are your priority. You value safety of others. You trust your team to get you on and off the ground and support you on this journey. In your opinion, what makes a great pilot? Um, so I think I think what makes a, a really good pilot is somebody who uh, has the ability to learn, but also stay uh, curious. Uh, you know, I heard when, when I was when I was getting into becoming a pilot. You know, there's two different types of pilot. There's 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 bold pilots and there's old pilots, but there's no such thing as a bold old pilot. And so these are the different sayings that we have in the aviation business because, you know, we could all be bold, uh, but at a certain point in time, you have to, you have to rely on, okay, what is the safe approach, you know, for the flight? And I really think that, you know, it's a constant training event as a, as a pilot, it's, it's over and over and over. And so what makes a tremendous pilot is somebody who flies a lot, same in the real estate game, who, who, who's the most proficient in real estate is somebody who's doing deal over deal over a deal. And it's, I just keep it simple. Right. And you mentioned that your uncle kind of introduced you to your love of flying as well as your love of real estate. sounds like that's a very influential person in your life. Can you tell me about your relationship with that person and how real estate sort of entered into, into the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was, I was about 10 years old, my parents split uh, I moved from Southern California to Scottsdale and my uncle, he was actually a builder in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, when I was a young man, he brought me on the job sites because for, for, for me, I was just trying to, okay, what, what's next, right? So I wanted a car. Um, and so he started teaching me about real estate. He was a builder. Uh, he always wanted to be a commercial airline pilot, but one day he took off, he was flying and uh, he actually scared himself because he couldn't find the airport. And so he literally gave up on his dream of becoming a commercial airline pilot and so when I was 17 years old, I didn't have any money and we were flying and I asked him, I said, Hey, look, you know, can I get actually get paid to, to do this? And he said, yeah. And so, you know, really that when that that's when aviation was introduced into my life from a young man. And I really just, you know, just started grinding. I started flying every single day. I put the real estate on hold, but I always knew that I wanted to come back to it. So that's really how it was introduced to me uh, from a young age. And, you know, I just, I, I had to wait because I didn't have any money. So that's awesome. So that's how you ended up in, in aviation. But what was life like in the early days of your career? In aviation or in the real estate? Uh, in aviation. So, I mean, look, in aviation, when you first get started out, it's, it's, you're traveling a lot. You're not making a lot of money. My first year as a commercial airline pilot, I think I made $48,000 a year because they had to put so much time and energy and effort into training me. And so I went and got a loan, student loan for 140 grand. My first year, I made 48 grand. I was a first officer on a $40 million jet. And I was traveling all over the US, Canada, and Mexico. And um, as I built seniority, life started to become better for me. And I started getting more days off. And so you fast track that to 25 years old. 
this is actually where 2008, 2009, 2010 happened. And um, it was really great timing for me because I started making money in the airline. Uh, there was great deals in real estate in Arizona. And so that's actually when I bought my first, uh, uh, what I call a crash pad, which is really cool because in aviation, it's kind of like uh, the, the house hacking. But in, in, in aviation, we call it a, a crash pad where you rent your rooms out to these other pilots. And so I bought my first home and um, I was able to rent out three of the rooms, collect net profit of 400 bucks. And so, and so that was, that was really my start in real estate. It was a single family home in uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I was making 400 bucks. I was living in the uh, master bedroom. And that's when I realized I needed to do something bigger. So why didn't you scale and just buy a whole bunch of properties and make them all crash pads? Because it's management intensive. The, the reason I didn't do that is because you had to manage it. Like I literally, I went home one night and uh, you know, you, it's, it's a common area. You share everything. And I didn't want to, uh, you know, I could have scaled it with many homes and it would have been a great business, but it's really management intensive. There's a lot of people coming in and out of the, uh, the homes and, um, it, it's just really, really heavy on the time. What I, what I started looking at is, okay, how do I buy these apartments? So my next deal was a fourplex because I didn't want to live with the renters. I didn't want to live with the people. And, and, and so that's, that's where my breakthrough happened where I was like, okay, I could do these single family, but how do I, how do I scale? So how did you have the vision or the foresight to even save and invest in your first property? Do you remember how much you had saved up to even get into this crash pad house hacking situation? Yeah. So uh, I bought that as my primary. So I needed like three and a half percent down. I think I put down like 10 grand. Um, I'm very frugal when it comes to money. And so even when I was making 50, 60, 70 grand, I was able to save, you know, 10 grand a year. What had happened was on my next deal, I saved up. 25 grand because I actually had a, a, a car that I had bought and flipped in order to get the 25 grand to put down on the fourplex. And so I've just, I've always been creative. I've always, I've always saved my money to invest it, but I just, I just knew that, um, I had to keep buying deals because I wanted the cash flow. I want, I wanted to buy a deal and, and, and actually make some passive income. Yeah. I always thought, you know, commercial airline pilots were, you know, the pretty high salaried starting right at the top. But it sounds like no matter what, you, you sort of have this base salary and incrementally over the years, just like any job, it kind of grows. Is there like a, a side to that where it is super juicy, a really lucrative salary that you were sort of looking forward to? And that was kind of what was going to fuel your real estate in the future? Or did you not really have aspirations to go all in on, in the real estate space early on? Early on, I literally thought that I'd buy a single family home and buy another one and buy another one and then, you know, have some multifamily. Uh, I didn't really think of it as like I'd be um, a huge multifamily apartment owner or operator. I just, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, the belief. I didn't have the vision at that point in time. And I, I think like any of us, we just, you know, we want to start off with our first deal and we want to kind of get our feet wet. Like I literally, when I bought my first deal, I didn't even know what they were talking about when they asked me, hey, you know, you want to buy down a point? Do you want conventional? Do you want FHA? I, I had no idea what any of that meant because I was never taught that in school. So, you know, for me, it was like, okay, once I found out I could do the first deal, it excited me because I was making 400 bucks. My second deal, I was making $600, but it was a fourplex. And I actually bought that. It was a, a foreclosure and I redid everything. And, and the biggest mistake that I did was I, I thought I had to do it myself. So I had no, I, I had no idea I'd end up with 21 units at the age of 30. I just knew that once I bought my first deal and I said, if you could do one, you could do two. If you could do two, I could do four. If I could do five, I could do 10. 
And so I literally just started reading a bunch of books. I mean, I, I really like to just figure things out. I'm very curious. And so once, once, once I had my first deal, I was like, okay, what's next? That's pretty cool. Yeah. So 21 by the age of 30 is re- really quite the accomplishment. You said you wanted to get into this and you're like, I'm just going to buy a single family house, single family house, single family house. You know, a lot of people have different reasons for getting into real estate, but what was yours? Did you have a why or a motivation that, cause like it's very, like I would say, I don't want to say rare, but it's not like a lot of people go into real estate like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy one and on and on. Like usually there's some kind of turning point or some kind of fuel that's like firing them up. What was that reason for you? So when I would go to work at the airline, I, what, I, what I started to realize is that when I was having these conversations about real estate uh, with my family and with coworkers, a lot of them were saying, oh, you know, you know, be careful, um, you know, real estate's risky. And my turning point for me was, you know, I was going to work every single day and I was trading my time for money. And at the time I was getting paid a hundred bucks or 120 per hour. And I was like, how long can I do this for? Like, like, like how long can I travel uh, for the airlines. And so I really had that turning point because I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, like how long are you going to trade your time for money? And, and that was awakening for me. And that's really what got me on that path to real estate is like, okay, if I can make money here, put it to work in real estate and then get the cash flow to pay off my student loans. I mean, you guys have to realize I was in debt, 140 grand. I was in debt, 140 grand. And people are like, pay it off as soon as you can, pay it off as soon as you can. And so what I did is I bought a fourplex with the 25 grand and the extra, the extra cash flow that I was getting from the fourplex, I would just pay down an extra $400 on my student loans every month. And with, but literally by the age of 30 years old, I had $140,000 paid off. I still had the principal, Rob and Dave, like I still had the principal working for me and my student loans were paid off. So, so for, for me, it was really just a shift at like 24 and 25. Cause although my uncle was very helpful in my early age, he didn't understand cash flow. He didn't understand having the assets because remember, he was a builder. He would build to sell for a profit. When I started getting my head right and my mental right, I was like, man, I want to, I want to, I want to buy it. I want to hold it. I want to cash flow it. And I want to get the benefits that real estate actually provides. Do you remember the, just out of curiosity, because, um, you know, student loan payments, they aren't very friendly. Uh, what was the student loan payment like on $140,000? It was like 600 bucks for 30 years. What? That's nothing. But, 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 but I mean, it was, it was, it was back in, you know, 2002 where interest rates were lower and, and, you know, you paid 600 or 700 bucks per month and over 30 years, that's a long time, right? It's over 30 years. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Cause I was paying like a thousand bucks, but it was amortized over 10 or yeah, 10 years or something like that. Okay. So 600 bucks, I mean, not super bad, but obviously like if you could replace that with income, that was sort of like the goal. You're like, let's chop that out. And then let's start figuring out how to use real estate to sort of fuel the, the overall wealth of your life, right? Well, yeah. And everybody was telling me, like, I had 25 grand. They're like, no, you should pay off your student loan. And I was like, no, no, hang on, hang on. Let me go buy a four unit. The rents were like 500 bucks. So I was literally collecting two grand from four units. The mortgage and everything was like $1,200. And, you know, after expenses and everything, I had like 600 bucks. So I would literally take the 600 bucks, double it, and I would just start chipping it down. So that way, when the student loan was paid off, I still had this four unit or I still had that principal uh, working for me. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's cool. So was there any benefit to being a pilot and getting into the real estate world and as a pilot, just flying around into new markets, discovering markets? Yeah. Like 
certainly you must have been more privy to market than the typical investor that never actually may get to visit a market before they invest there. It was a huge advantage because I was based so so I was based at Chicago Hair, LaGuardia, DC. My last base was actually Denver. And so I was able to go and see these cities and I was always shopping real estate on my overnights. And then also I was getting like 13, 14, 15 days off because typically in the aviation space, you get four days on, four days off, four days on, four days off. And so it actually gave me time when I got back home to Scottsdale, I can go and look at real estate. When I bought my first deal, I'd have four or five days to actually renovate the units. And so for sure, like I always think the biggest mistake for people is when they're so like, when you grow up somewhere, you have to go and see other cities. You have to go and see other spots because you see the growth, you see the trends, you see different things that maybe you're not seeing in your city. You see the path of progress. So I've always been a student and and I've always loved real estate. So I used to take advantage of like, okay, the airline's paying for my hotel. The airline's paying for me to overnight. The airline's paying me to eat. So when I was done doing all my job and all my duties, I would go and shop and drive blocks and, in, in shop real estate all over the U.S. That's cool. So I, the thing that that is always gonna be like I think I'd love I'd love your insight on how you can do this because you're probably gonna be uh, a big help to a lot of the audience today. Uh, which is a lot of people get really nervous about investing long distance, and they're like, "Man, you know what happens if I get called in the middle of the night and this and that?" You were on an airplane, and uh, it's not like you could just take a phone call on an airplane. Uh, because they make you put it in airplane mode, but mostly because you don't have reception, right? So uh, if you if you don't have reception, you can't physically answer a phone call. How can you even run a real estate business that way? Well, it's difficult. Um, you know, and, and honestly, when I bought my fourplex, I was managing it myself. Um, I'd have my girlfriend help me. Like when we're all getting started out, you literally have to get creative. So my girlfriend would help me like if I was traveling. Um, but typically, you know, if they left a voicemail, I'd get back with them within four or five. My typical flights were between, you know, call it two and four hours. Um, so that wasn't a huge issue. But yeah, no, it's 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 a big deal. Like when you buy deals in other cities and states, you want to make sure you have boots on the ground because you have to have somebody who's managing it very close. And that's actually one of my biggest fears. Like that's why I started, when I started investing in real estate, I started investing in my backyard because I was actually terrified. I was so scared to go to uh, um, uh, San Antonio in Austin because Texas was a really big market back in 2012, 2013. There was a lot of that growth between Austin and San Antonio, but I was always so terrified because um, I didn't have any boots on the ground. I didn't know any management companies. I didn't know anybody who, who who managed real estate. And the smaller the deal is, the harder it is to find a management company to actually manage it. Were you pretty good at that point? You know, you said that you're you're working with your girlfriend and she's picking up the slack for you a little bit. Were you pretty good at sort of turning off the real estate button while you were flying? Or did it take a while for you to sort? Because, like for me, when I go into the movie theaters, that this is my big, my big thing. When I go into a movie theater, I'm like, I'm not going to get to enjoy this movie because I'm definitely going to get a text message or a phone call right. in the middle of this movie. And of course, it always does happen. Was that ever? Did that ever happen? Did you ever go through that when you were up in the air? Or were you able to shut that off pretty easily? Uh, you can't shut it off. It's it's. I, I'm the same as you. Like I'm always looking at my phone. Um, it's just, it's just always like, I was actually, I, I used to not go on vacations because I was like, well, what if the toilet gets backed up? What if they call me? Like, what if they do this? Like, what if I'm international and they can't get a hold of me? Like I was, I was the, I was the typical scared young investor in real estate and I wanted to do it and manage it all myself. So we haven't covered who you actually started working for as a pilot yet. 
How did you go from commercial uh, to to private uh, as a pilot? So this is a crazy story. I actually was, um, when I had 21 units, I was 30 years old and I said, okay, what's next? And I, I, I knew that I always, by this time, I knew that I wanted to, to own and operate and control multifamily units. I just didn't have anybody where I was from that was doing like what Grant was doing. So at 30 years old, I said, what's next? And uh, on YouTube and actually Bigger Pockets, I found Grant Cardone. And on Bigger Pockets podcast, this is crazy. He's like, look, I've got like 3,000 units. I'm looking to grow. I'm looking to scale. If there's anybody out there who's listening who wants to come and join my team, call me. And I picked up the phone and I called him and I literally didn't even get an interview with Grant. I got an interview with his team and they're like, well, we don't really have a job in the real estate yet. Uh, cause they knew I was a pilot. They're like, we don't even have an airplane yet. It's coming in two weeks, but we got a sales job, like a sales role job. And I said, perfect. I'll take it. And so literally two weeks later, uh, I packed all my stuff in, in Scottsdale in Arizona and I moved out to Miami and I started working for Grant Cardone. And I just, I just, I knew like, like the way he was talking about real estate when I heard him on bigger pockets, when I heard him on YouTube, like I just knew that he wanted to grow and scale his portfolio. And I was like, man, instead of me doing this by myself, how cool would that be to do it with somebody who has already has like a huge head start from where I was? And so that's what I did. Yeah, that's crazy. So how long ago was that? That was nine years ago. Okay. So he was this Grant Cardone. Was he established at this point? I mean, cause now obviously he's got a Huge name, huge platform, huge portfolio. What did it look like back then? Was he super established? Because it seems like you just took a giant risk, you know, to go work for him. What did you see in in kind of where he was at that moment? Yeah, so I I saw the opportunity in the real estate market, but I saw Grant was 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 very passionate and he he understood real estate. He had about three thousand units at the time, so we kind of operated kind of like a single family, uh, like a family office. Uh, so, you know, he, he would buy the deal, invest it in himself. Like he, he, so he would buy a deal. He would take his money. He would invest the money and he would hold it for long term. We didn't have like the Cardone capital and the crowdfunding and, you know, the 12,000 units. We, we, we had none of that. It was literally like Grant Cardone was a, a, a business and a consultant and he had real estate on the side and that's it. Man, that's nuts. Okay. And then you didn't even, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, did you become a private? pilot for him or did you join his sales team? So I joined a sales team and then two weeks later, he, it, it, so two weeks later, he bought a Gulfstream G200 and, and Elena, I met Elena day one. I was like, look, I love flying airplanes. I got 10, I, I had almost 10,000 hours at that time. Like I was literally flying every single day, building up my time. And so I had almost 10,000 hours. I said, I love flying. I love real estate. And I love helping people. And she's like, does Grant know this? I says, no. Uh, and she's like, well, we're buying an airplane. And so Grant was hire- like looking to hire these other pilots. And he called me in his office one day and he's like, look, if I hire you to be my pilot, will you also work with me and my companies and in my businesses on the downtime? And I said, where do I sign? And so I literally signed a three-year contract with Grant to be his pilot, but then also work with him in whatever business, whether it's the sales, whether it's the real estate, whatever it was. I just knew that he was the right guy. Cool. Wow. What? What a crazy story, man. I don't think... Uh, well, first of all, I think the craziest thing is that you were like, yeah, he said to call him. So I picked up the phone and I called him. I feel like different time. Rob, I was terrified. Like I was on the line because it's, it's, it's Grant Cardone, right? I was like, you know, when you call anybody, like, like if I was calling, if I wanted to go work for David and I'm 30 years old, it's like, man, David's this and you're this. Like, like you're like, you don't know what you're calling, right? So I, I was calling Grant's office and I was like, I want to come work for Grant. 
And it was a little bit nerve wracking because I was taking a huge risk because I was giving up my career. I was giving up the airlines. I was giving up the 401ks. I was giving up the 18 days off. Like I had built an awesome career for myself, but I just knew there was something bigger. I want to ask you when you made the call, because here's why I'm asking if I'm being transparent. This gets spoken about a lot. We just spoke with Tarek Al-Musa today, and he's like, you got to try. You got to reach out. And so this gets spoken about often from influencers. And what that translates into is me getting 40 DMs a day from 23-year-old guys that are like, I'll do this. I'll run your social media. I'll build a course for you. I'll automate something and make money off of you. And meanwhile, this kid has 300 followers, and he's telling me he's going to grow my brand. And it's like exhausting having people reach out and say, I want to work from you. And you're like, what can you do? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Just tell me what you want me to do. And we get in this stalemate, right? So I'm sure if you spoke to Grant, you came in with a plan, you proposed something and you thought about it. Can you share with our audience the effort you put in before you made the call so we don't give the impression simply making the call leads to life-changing things and you end up on the Bigger Pockets podcast and you have this huge story? Well, look, I I, I think that I started building my resume and I started building my skill set because to your point, you know, you, you have to have a skill set that adds massive value to the team. Otherwise, you just don't add massive value. Like if I call up Grant and said, hey, I want to run your social media. I want to do this. Like, like I don't have any experience doing it. What I did is I said, hey, look, I, I wanted to be super easy, by the way. But I said, look, I, I, I've got a career in aviation. Like if you're going to buy an airplane, I will run the entire flight department for you and I'll do it for I'll do it for free. Like people don't. The one thing that people don't realize, like I would have done this for free because when you get really close to somebody like Grant, like David, like Rob, like me now, uh, there's it's it's so valuable because you just learn a whole new skill set. And so my pitch was three things. Um, I know how to fly airplanes. And Grant actually kind of made a crack at me one day. He's like, do you really know how to fly? I'm like, look, in four weeks, I can get type rate on your airplane and I'll be the lead captain and I will be there every single day. I haven't called in sick in 10 years at my current airline. And I also have 21 units in real estate that I know they're kind of junk, but I want to grow and scale, but give me the shot at the flying first. And then I'll work into the, the real estate piece. And so really, I think that that was the big value add piece because number one, I was willing to come and make phone calls. I was terrible at it, by the way, I was like, I was making sales calls, but I was willing to do it. And that showed Grant really like, I'm willing to do any, like, honestly, guys, I'll sweep the floors. Uh, I'll make the phone calls. I could be at the top. I could be at the middle. I could be at the bottom. I'm willing to do what other people are not willing to do. And he saw that from day one. And also it helped that I met Elena on like day two. And she, cause, cause Elena has been a huge part of my success. Meaning that, you know, when I got in here, she's like, Hey, Ryan likes real estate. Hey, Ryan can fly airplanes. Hey, Ryan like this. Like, cause that, that's really what led into me transitioning from being the pilot into real estate. Few things that we should highlight from that. One, you didn't come with vagueness or ambiguity. You said, I can help you in this way. And here is why you can trust me. When we get someone that reaches out and they're like, just tell me something that doesn't work. You showed clear value. Two, you said, I'll do it for free. Oftentimes when people reach out, they're hoping that they get paid in some way or it's some kind of a partnership and you don't know who they are. So you're not comfortable with that. So you took the smart road and said, let me just build trust with the person. I'll work for three for free. And three, you offered to work in a capacity where you said making phone calls in a system he already had established. Grant did not have to take you and say, follow me around, kid, and I'll teach you the ropes on the first day. He could plug you into a team he already had, and they could evaluate your character, your skills. They could see what you were good at. That would be the equivalent of someone saying, hey, David, I want to come be a real estate agent on your team. 
I could say yes to that because I could stick them with another agent and they could tell me how they're doing versus I have to be the way to evaluate, which means I'm probably going to say no until I know the person better. So that right there is incredibly valuable. That's great. I think you you, you nail down like his like pain point, right? And you're like, a pain point is if you're buying a, a plane, someone's got to fly the plane, right? Like a thousand percent of the time when I work with someone from like that reaches out, it's because they've heard me say something on the podcast. They've heard me say something on my YouTube channel, on Instagram. That's like, oh, I'm really struggling with this. Like I cannot figure this thing out. Or does anyone have a recommendation? When someone's like, oh, hey, I've got the solution to that very specific problem you have. Boom. Like door open immediately, right? Uh, it's a hundred percent what you said, David. I think you you framed that up pretty correctly. Find the value, solve the pain. Yeah, and Rob, I didn't negotiate too. Like when he said, "Here's the deal," I just said, "Hey, where do you want to sign?" He's like, "I want to do a three year deal with you." I was like, "I'll do a 10. because I just knew. Like I like I just I, I hope that if if people could take one thing away, if you can get around the movers and shakers, if you can get around the people who are actually doing deals, that's my advice to all the young guys out there. It's like when I'm to my 21 year old self. If you could add value to a team, if you can get around a team who's already doing what you want, that is the fast track. Yeah, it's just take note there. It's not about reaching out to someone with a terrible pitch or saying, I just want to work with you. You have to be clear about what you're looking for if you want to get a clear response back from the person. But it can work out really well when they do it the way that we're describing here. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a deal machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above-market rent so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Now, we understand there was a pivotal moment when you went from flying high to being grounded. Can you share what happened in Alabama? Yeah. So as I was early, you know, Elena was a huge part of my career in, 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 in bringing me into what I call the circle. Um, I literally in Christmas, uh, it was eight years ago. We landed the airplane in Fairhope, Alabama, which is a super cool runway. It's like really, really small. We landed the G200 there. It's kind of a private airstrip. Uh, and I went to the hotel. And this is over Christmas and Elena calls me. She's like, Hey, look, you know, you guys are a crew. Cause the one thing about Grant and Elena is that they actually, the people who work with them and work for them, they, they're, they're really like an extended family. And so, you know, she's like, Hey, do you want to come over for, you know, Christmas dinner? It's at her parents' house. And I'm like, I looked at the other pilot and Rob and David, I you not. He said, uh, I'm like, Hey, they just invited us to come over for dinner. And the other pilot's like, no, nah, I'll pass. You know, I'm going to go down the street and, you know, eat at this pub or whatever. And I'm like, really? Like, like you don't want to go and have dinner with the, the, the boss. And so I went over to the house and I noticed when I got there, Grant was a little bit aggravated. And I started asking him questions like, well, what's going on? And he's like, well, I have a property that's 10 minutes North of here. And when I went there, the pool was dirty. The blinds were down. It was closed. There was nobody there. And he's like, I pulled up a report and I had 40 units. I have 40 units that are not leased. And I was like, wow, I was like, that is like, I'm like, that's, that's, that's BS number one. But I was like, two, how can I help you? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how do I help you? Like, like what I want to lease those units. And he's like, you would do that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, heck yeah. Tell me more about it. And so he started going on and telling me about the property and everything else. And I looked at him, I said, well, what if I parked the airplane in Miami when we landed uh, in three days and I came back up here and I rented those 40 units for you, would that be of service? Would that help you? And he's like, wow. He's like, you would do that. 
And I said, absolutely, I'm going to get a plane ticket right now, and I'm going to come up here. And I have – guys, you got to keep in mind, like I've never ran a 344-unit complex before. I have 21 units, and uh, I took a huge risk. And I was like, you know what? I'm willing to do it because I knew I could lease. I knew I could call. I knew, I knew like if I just got in this building, I can lease 40 units in 40 days. So I told him, I'll lease 40 units in 40 days. Will you give me a shot? And he's like, come up here. Let's do it. And so that, yes, yeah, so that, that's the transition. That, that, that was my transition where Grant actually gave me a shot working in the, in, in the real estate. And I was up there the, the next week. Okay. So a couple of things. You, you've kind of mentioned you were working with Elena was pivotal in this uh, kind of relationship with you and Grant. Who is that for reference? So Elena Cardone is Grant's wife. Got it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And so you're flying for them. You're, uh, I guess you're doing phone sales a little bit at the beginning of it. And then he's like, I, I, I got to lease all these units. And you're like, I'm going to do it. He's like, wow, you would do this for me? You're like, great. And you go and you do it. How did you actually lease 40 units in how long? So, so the, the, the task and the goal was 40 units in 40 days over, over, over New Year's and over Christmas holiday. Okay. All right. So how the heck did you do that? So here's the, here's the cool thing. So I went up there the next week and he's like, look, I want you to get an air mattress <laughs> and I want you to live on site. The high life right there. Yeah, yeah. And I want, and I want you to stay in a one bedroom apartment. And I'm like, okay, I was just willing to do whatever it took. And so I flew up there, got an air mattress, got a one bedroom, put the air mattress up. And I was literally like the first day that I walked into the uh, leasing office I realized really quick that there was nobody leasing. There was no leadership. The manager was posting on Facebook. There was like three likes. I'm like, well, clearly that's not a lead gen. And so I called Grant. I said, what would Grant do? And he says, this is what I would do, Ryan. He's like, I'd go back in the last 90 days, pull out the list and print it off of all the people who came in and didn't rent. And I'm like, perfect, done. He's like, I'd call them, I'd paint a picture and I'd get them back in there and I'd lease them a unit. He's like, I'd just start with that. And so without doing anything else, I pulled the list. I started calling people, cold calling them, right? Hey, you know, you came to this apartment complex, you know, 30 days ago, 45 days ago. Uh, have you found a place yet? Nope, I haven't. Perfect. I found the perfect unit for you. Uh, we actually have a discount. We have a special right now. Uh, come back in tomorrow. I've already picked out your unit. And so I started getting all these people coming in. I literally started getting all these people coming in. I said, what else would you do, Grant? He's like, well, I'd go put your phone number on the front side of the building. On the, on the street, I'd go and put your cell number. I'm like, perfect. I'll go get a sign made. And so I went and got a sign made, got some new balloons, got new flowers, started cold calling people like on the 90 day list. And I started going knocking on doors of all the businesses in the five mile radius. And, uh, within 15 days, I had 15 leases, each lease every single day. And by the 15th day, he called me back. He says, Ryan, get your ass back here. You are now part of the real estate team. <laughs> Man, dude, rock and roll. I, I honestly am really impressed because I feel like I would be already pessimistic about that advice of like, call everyone who has come in in the last 45 days and see if they are interested. Because I would have assumed everyone found a place. Right. And that wasn't the case. <laughs> That's what we call follow-up. As a side note, that is the number one biggest area where people need improvement in almost every business. I call it lead bleed in the real estate books I wrote, the top producer series. So much of the time, it's lead bleeds what's hurting you. You write an offer on a house. They say no. You forget to go back and check a couple weeks later. You just assume someone else bought it. The thing's still sitting there. The sellers are singing a different tune. 
right? Maybe someone else tried to put it in escrow and they accepted and then it fell out of escrow and they're heartbroken. And if you show up at that exact time, they'll take an offer for 75 grand less, but you're looking for the next deal that you can just write the offer on and try to get what we frequently give advice. You got to write a lot of offers, but we never remind people go back and write offers on houses that you were already rejected for. It's that same principle. And yeah, he's smart. He knows that. That's crazy. That's good. So you're all right. So you, you get the 15 done 15 days. What about the other uh, 25 units? Was Grant no longer worried about that because you sort of figured out those systems for the rest of the team or or what? Yeah. So what happened was I identified who the real leadership was coming from in the community, which was the assistant manager. And so what, what happened was uh, we promoted the assistant to the management role. And then also on the maintenance standpoint, because that's also a big thing in multifamily and apartments, right? Is you have to turn the units and make them ready because everybody, when you show an apartment, just like when you show a house, David, you know this better than anybody, you want to show the end result. You want to show the finished product. So I think, you know, 20 days, I was there for about 20, 15 to 20 days. And that was plenty of time to identify who the players were, give them uh, enough momentum and energy. Because look, when, when a guy like, myself or you or David go into somewhere like that's that's great energy and you could really start building that momentum so we got that place leased it was like 95 percent within 30 days and then the the proper team members were in there so now I could start going and focusing on because at the time I think you had 3,000 units to 300 so you had about 10 deals I was able to go and start working on other deals because that's really where I started cutting my teeth in this business is I, I I wanted to make sure that Grant's portfolio was running 10x and so he started putting me on all these other deals saying, hey, you get in touch with this management company. You get in touch with this property manager. You go and just make sure that you're going through all these deals. And so, um, yeah, I leased 15 units. I came back here. There was uh, a team of two. It was called Grant Cardone and Ryan Seckel. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we built off of. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, what you just showed is not not only were you willing to you know roll up your sleeves, get get your uh, your hands dirty, but you actually succeeded. Uh, that's the thing is anyone might be willing to go out there and try it, but you actually did it. Were you already a natural leader? Was this something that you were good at? Are you particularly a charismatic salesperson, or was it sort of like a fake it till you make it type of thing? I, I think I've always had the ability to learn. Um, I think, you know, back what David asked me earlier is, you know, how, how did the, the leadership and the pilot skills transfer into what you're doing now? You know, I, I was a captain for nine years of a 70 passenger jet, $40 million airplane. Uh, leadership is highly trained in the airlines. And I think that, you know, from, from a piloting standpoint is I'm very systematic. I am very logical and I just, I, I, I'm a people person. Uh, I think people are the most important part of the business. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's this and it's this and this. It's the people. If a deal's doing bad, it's the people. If a deal's doing good, it's the people. Because you could have a great deal and crappy people, the deal's not going to do great. You could have a okay deal and have great people, the deal's actually going to do really well. So I, I think I think that the people are super important. And I think that, you know, for me, I've had a lot of great mentors where I'm just willing to do stuff that people aren't. And, and I also had a great mentor, Grant. You know, Grant, Grant had the ability, like I was calling him every day. This is what built my relationship with Grant is I was calling him. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? And, and also to one of the David's points too, like Grant was not in the mood. Like Grant's not going to teach me anything. Grant's going to put me in the positions to learn. Like that's what people are making the mistakes. Like they're calling people saying that's just adjusting the expectations on that, Ryan. 
Grant can't teach you anything. Even if he could, it'd be like drinking from a fire hose. You don't have the capacity to sponge up what Grant would be able to teach you. It's I'll give you an analogy. Like when you're learning from a black belt and you're first learning the martial art, they probably don't remember what you need to learn because they were five years old when they learned that. It it doesn't make sense. They were not a grown person trying to understand these concepts. They were a kid whose brain soaked it up quickly, right? But we all think, I want to be trained by the best person ever. That's not the right coach for you. You want a person a step, maybe two steps ahead. Grant has an ecosystem that he can put you in with people that are somewhat vetted, that have a standard that he upholds, that have a system that he had a hand in creating that puts you in a position to succeed, right? So that black belt built a school. He picked out instructors. Those people can teach you the martial art you're trying to learn so much better. I love you're saying that because there's this idea where our ego says, I want to learn from Grant Cardone. I want the best. And now you're useless to him because you can't keep up with the level of stuff he does. However, if you get plugged into his world, you learn something there. You prove yourself valuable. You become one of those captains at some point that he's put in place. You're training the new people. Now, as you gain the experience of living there, you do get to a level that you can start to rub elbows with Grant and what he needs is helpful. Would you like to add anything into just that story of how you're kind of, you climb the ranks? Well, uh, just, just to hit on that point too, like, like Grant was never the type where he was like, sit down and let me teach you, you know, how to do a deal or how to do multifamily. I'll just add this, you know, when I, when I got heavy in the properties, I, I got on these calls and I was learning from all the property managers and the regional managers and in the the really really smart people in the real estate. When it comes to lending, Grant put me uh, around a bunch of bankers and a bunch of brokers, and so I had to learn the lingo. So so everything, David, that you were mentioning, like like in real estate, there's different buckets, right? You you got to find a deal and you have to get with the brokers who are selling the deals. Grant put me into the wolf. To, to the cage and I learned the lingo and I learned the relationships because, because you're so right. Like you can't build these relationships by yourself. You have to get around people who already have the relationships. And then you actually, by association, you become very powerful because you now have the relationships because you get spooled up quicker. Same thing with debt, same thing with uh, property management companies, same thing with all of the stuff in real estate. So I just think that, you know, for me, I understood that I wasn't going to go back to Grant and say, Hey, Grant, what can you teach me? I would always go back to Grant David and say, what's next? What do you want me to help you? Can I take off your plate? What's next? And he loved that. You know, I'm always a guy who likes and wants more responsibility. I just kept going back because my bandwidth is there. Like I have bandwidth, right? Like I'm like, we're at 12,000 units. We have office, we have multifamily. I'm like, what's next? I think a lot of us get bogged down and like, oh, well, this is a problem, but this is a problem. Leaders have solutions. Leaders, non-leaders have problems. And for me, I always wanted to come back to Grant with a solution. Well, you know, we've kind of highlighted a lot of the a lot of the skills that you said transferred over. But one thing that we haven't, we haven't really mentioned is that you are now the EVP of Cardone Capital nowadays. And so we've heard from your early days and what it was like. But what is your role nowadays in the business? Because obviously, things have uh, have really exploded since your since your time uh, at the beginning of this. Well, now I run Cardone Capital with Grant. You know, so 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 I run Cardone Capital, and and and, and Grant is um, a phenomenal partner. And you know what what has happened? I mean, a lot hap- a lot changes in nine years. You know, I think I think if people look back at you know what we've done, and and and, and this goes back to crowdfunding as well, right? Because now Cardone Capital, we're 
uh, a crowdfunding uh, platform where you know we go and find deals. We have our own platform, so we don't use a lot of these third parties. And we've been really successful just going straight to investors who are looking to invest in multifamily real estate. And we've really built out a, a done for you platform where we got great, beautiful, awesome deals, and we offer them to uh, retail investors. We've raised one point uh, almost two billion dollars um, in capital. In our portfolio is four point three billion dollars, and 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 look, a lot of our deals are uh, uh, great assets, great locations, and so you know my 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 day to day has changed a lot as we continue to grow the portfolio, but I'm always still very curious, and I'm always still learning, and, and you know now that now 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 the team's different, the deals are different, you know they're bigger deals, but it's really the same thing, and I always go back to this: the people that we have on our team are phenomenal. The, 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 the thing that I'll tell people, if you're just getting started in real estate, you don't have to have a big team. You have to have really, really good third parties, meaning third party attorneys, third party property managers, third party, um, uh, um, uh, bankers. Like you just have to have good people around you. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you're buying a lot of multifamily. Um, can you tell us? I mean, obviously your experience as a pilot, how does the pilot's checklist apply to buying large multifamily as you sort of go down this, this route? Well, the due diligence checklist on multifamily is a lot bigger than my checklist as a pilot. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. And, and the checklist goes for the debt. It goes for the deal. It goes for the investors. Um, but it's all transferable. Like, and, th- and th- this is what I always say too. Like, it doesn't matter if you're in a corporate job or if you're a pilot or because, because really being a pilot is really like a corporate job. Like everybody who has a skill set of e- either being a leader or, or, or managing a team, you can, you can become a great real estate professional by transferring those skills. So yeah, look, um, I look at a lot of deals and I look at, um, um, a lot of markets. And so again, all of this stuff that I was telling you about earlier is like, I've been to a lot of markets. I've looked at a lot of deals. I've looked at a lot of deals with Grant. Uh, I've learned from the best. I was literally with Grant and this is what may, if you, maybe if people didn't pick up on this, I've literally been with Grant for nine years, but for the first six years, David, and Rob, I was with him every day. Like I was with him every day because I was flying. When we were not flying, we were looking at deals. When we were not looking at deals, we were flying. When we weren't flying, we were looking at deals. Everywhere we would land, we'd look at deals. And when we were uh, overnighting somewhere, typically I would stay with him. By osmosis, you're observing the framework that Grant sees the world through, the problems he's anticipating before they come. And there's a lot you're learning in your subconscious. You're like, oh, I didn't think that was a problem. Or he sees opportunity where someone else wouldn't. Or he sees an order to take this deal down. It's different than the last one. And that here's where the challenge is going to be not there, which now gives you the, the empowered ability to go out there and say, let me fix that, which makes you even more crucial to him. And that's the secret. If you want someone to become a partner with you, whether it's romantic, whether it's business, whether it's friendship, whether it's anything, make yourself such a crucial part of their life that they can't live without you. I mean, that's really how you take leverage in a relationship. Yep, it really is, David. And then and then also you you layer that with the rules that are changing because before 2014 and 2015, you actually couldn't do general solicitation, which is the the, the way you raise money. And so as we're building this foundation in the real estate, 2015 and 2016 happened. And now the SEC, they started allowing you guys, started allowing us to go and do general solicitation. And so all of the business owners, all of his friends, all of his power base were reaching out and saying, Hey, I see you guys are doing deals. I want to invest with you. Like Cardone Capital actually started because we did one deal that was $20 million. The debt was 14. The equity was six. We raised a six million in seven days. And Grant looked at me and said, Hey, can we do this again? 
The next deal was forty million. So like all of these things, like you 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 can't just look at Grant and Ryan and Cardinal Kaplan like oh these guys are overnight successes. We literally built this thing in gradients, and and I highly encourage people that are listening, you can do it too. But you brought a skill set to the opportunity. That's just where I really want to like plant my flag here. You didn't bring nothing and say, turn me into a superstar and then get frustrated when it didn't happen. You had already done some things in life and you brought those to the opportunity and the opportunity helped you flourish. And I was investing in the deals too, David. So like I was at dinner, I was at lunch one day with Grant in Chicago and I started showing him my 21 units and um, he looked at him. He's like, man, these are kind of, these are junk. And I was kind of offended at first. I was like, I was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, this is the eight plex. This is a single family home. It's like, this is good to me. And he's like, Ryan, he's like, look at what I'm buying. And I'm like, well, what would you recommend? And he's like, I would sell them all. And I was like, you would sell them all. I went home the next day and I sold them all. I listened, I called Eddie, the real estate agent. Like I called David. And I was like, sell them all. And uh, within 30 days, because I mean, Scottsdale was a great market. Within 30 days, I ended up with 500 grand. I paid, I couldn't 1031 because Grant had already bought the deal. Like we do, like he buys the deal and you know, you could roll your money in. So I paid the tax of a hundred grand, but I literally took 400 grand, David. And this is really what, you know, you, you said, I'm putting my flag in. I took my 400 grand. I invested it with Grant in 826 units in Nashville, Tennessee. And I said, I am committed to doing this. Not only am I going to time, energy and effort, here's my money. And, um, within three and a half years, that 400 grand turned into 1.1. And Grant, you know, I tell this all the time, Grant actually made me a millionaire and I'm the first millionaire for my family. And I'm really proud to say that. And uh, it's been it's been life changing working for somebody. Uh, it's been life changing working for Grant. I'll bet you what Grant saw when he looked at that was the return on equity was very poor where you were probably looking at the return on in your initial investment. They had appreciated to the point that the cash flow was not keeping up with how much equity you had. So he saw the inefficiency of your capital. You put it into a new deal with a value add component and stronger cash flow. And so you turn that equity into something that would give you a higher return. And I didn't have to work in the day to day too. It's so, so it's like, it's like I went from 21 units being the manager because we all start there. Right. And I actually encourage people start, do it, get a fourplex, get an eightplex, get 12plex, get 32 units, like do it. Cause the worst thing in the world is not doing anything. And then now you have no assets. All you have is liabilities. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes like right today's market, you're not going to go out there and crush it and add six figures to your net worth buying a fixer upper that nobody wanted that you found on Zillow. You may have to wait a significant period of time to build that equity up to go do what you did, but still it's better than not doing it, right? It doesn't make sense to cry about how easy the market used to be. So you're not going to invest. Well, this is what the market offers today. So how do you build a strategy around that? Yeah, because as you as you buy these assets, they will over time. I truly believe you know, if you, if, if, and, and this is my strategy is, you know, you five, seven, 10 years, even longer, you, you buy the best real estate, you buy great real estate that you want to hold for a long time. You don't just buy the real estate that's on a discount because that I, I, my first deal was on a discount. I made the least amount of money on it because of the location, because of the market. Um, the third deal that I bought, I actually paid the most, but I made a hundred grand within 12 months because of the location it was so good. So, so it's, it's interesting. Like, like as I've, as I, as I did my first deal, second deal, third deal, fourth deal, I started learning. I started picking up on these different pieces where I was like, man, I want to go and invest in that market because the appreciation and the cash flow was better. I don't want to just go here because it's a discount. I'm working on a book like that right now. Let me and Rob be the co author on that book. Okay. That's right. I'll write the foreword. Rob did write a foreword once and it was rejected. Nobody wanted it. It will be a, a foreword, foreword, a foreword, foreword. <laughs> 
Uh, Ryan, you mentioned that you've you've seen a lot of deals. You've underwritten a lot of them. And I understand you now have a two-minute process to underwrite a deal. Can you tell us what that's like? Oh, yeah. I mean, so look, I... You know, the, 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 when I, day one, when I joined Grant's team, he used to underwrite a deal. I used to tell him two minutes. It's actually like 43 seconds, but I'm like, man, if I could underwrite a deal like Grant, then my whole life would change. And so literally what I do, and, and, and as you get spooled up, you start learning these markets, right? And in multifamily, what I do is I just take the number of units times the rents in place, not like what the broker's telling me in place rents. And then I just use the occupancy of like 94 or 95%, depending on the marketplace. And then I just use rough numbers like, okay, my expenses typically in Florida on the East Coast are 40, uh, between 40 and 45%. On the West Coast are 30. And so I just, okay, this is what my NOI is going to be based on here's the income minus the expenses. Here's my NOI. And so I can solve for like on these bigger deals, they all trade at a cap rate. And so I literally can underwrite a multifamily deal, 300 units within two minutes. And it gives me so much power because now I'm, um, I'm communicating to the broker that I've got number one speed. Number two, I know if it's a good deal or a bad deal. So I don't waste a bunch of time on bad deals. Uh, but I've learned that from Grant and I highly encourage people. If you're listening, learn how to underwrite really quick, identify bad deals, move them away from you as fast as possible. So that way you could focus on really good deals. You know, I got to give you some props, man. I've been asking every single multifamily operator that I know for something like that for years. And none of them will, because if they leave their spreadsheet, they get separation anxiety. They can't handle it. We have that with single family houses. It's called the 1% rule. It, it basically you throw out everything that isn't, it doesn't have to be exactly that. It has to be close to it. And then as interest rates are low, you can get further away from a full 1%. But as they go up, you got to get closer. And then I also learned that the higher price the asset is, the less dependent it is on the 1% rule. So a 50,000 house better rent for $500 a door, but uh, a $900,000 house doesn't have to bring in $9,000 a month. Just to cash flow positive. We're not saying it's a good investment, but that's because I've seen enough of them that it, those patterns jump out. And you're basically saying, I've seen enough of these houses that I know expenses are X over here and Y over here. And it all goes in the algorithm of your brain and you could spit out an NOI that lets you say, all right, if we're trading at a at a six cap based on this NOI, hey, this is the ballpark we're going to be in. Can we play ball? And if they go, no, 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 it needs to be something. All right, we're done. We're moving on. Not running it through a three-hour process of putting it into a spreadsheet. You're so spot on, David. And and also the one percent rule. I still use it in today's market. Like I'll, I'll, I looked at uh, a deal today. It was 140 units. Um, they wanted it was like 240 grand, and you know rents were it was like 1,900 bucks. And so I, I I'm always looking at that one percent rule because I I always know that if I can meet the one percent rule, I'm going to buy every deal. If, if, if a unit's a hundred grand and I can get a thousand bucks, I'm buying it, put it under contract, write an LOI. Let's move on. I'll figure out the expenses, all that stuff later. But I just know. And also the bigger the deal gets, the, 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 the less you have to be to the 1% rule. Same thing as, but you have a little bit more slack when it gets bigger. Cause you get economies at scale. Can you just define the 1% rule for anyone at home that doesn't know exactly what that is? Yes. Yeah, so if I buy a house for a hundred grand, I need to get a thousand bucks per month in rent. Gross. Not, not profit. Gross. Awesome. Well, it's encouraging to hear that that applies at the unit level of the apartment complex. So for clarity's sake, we're not saying if you buy it for a hundred million, it doesn't mean it has to bring in a million every single month. What we're saying is the door count here, if that, if it's bought for a hundred thousand dollars a door, if each 
average rent of these units is a thousand bucks. You're it's worth putting through your analysis and looking into deeper. That's where you're saying, write the letter of intent, get that thing in her contract. Let the guys then start to the bean counters kind of identify all the exact measurements, make sure that it's a property you want. But if it doesn't, you're throwing that thing out right away. That right there is very, very useful. If you, if it is a hundred million, I'm just trying to understand why the 1% rule wouldn't be like proportional. Wouldn't it still be, if it's a hundred million dollar building, you'd still, you would want it to bring in a million dollars gross? I feel like in multifamily, there would be more, there's more, there's more expenses to take into account than there are with single family. And there's more income sources, right? So with multifamily, you can have income coming in from laundry, from parking, from storage. Like it's not just the rent versus with residential real estate, your only income sources. That that's true though. That makes sense. Yeah. When we're spitballing how something feels to us, it makes sense in our head. But if you have to articulate how you got there, you almost got to pull apart the algorithm of your own brain to be like, why did I think that was a bad idea? And you, and hopefully there's actually logic behind what you said. But a lot of like what you're doing, Ryan, when you've looked at so many deals is it will stand out like, oh, that just feels like that's probably good. You don't know why you couldn't explain it. But when you dive in deeper, you'll be like, oh, that's why there's inefficiency here. They could bump rents much more than what they realize or insurance is much higher than what they thought. So they're not going to get this much money. Sometimes you don't know exactly why it feels right, but you know that it does. Yeah, exactly right. And to your point, David, like the income and the rent is one thing, but then you also have like utility reimbursements. You got other income and those are really big numbers on multifamily. That's why it doesn't have to meet and match the meet, uh, meet and match the 1% rule on like, like the door count. But, but, but what I was going with that too, David, is also like knowing the numbers quick. It allows you to be the captain. It allows you to be the guy now in these bigger deals where you have confidence where you could actually start using uh, crew resource management, which is team resource management, which is actually the broker. Hey, what numbers did you come up with? Hey, uh, what are you, what are you showing for the going and yield? Hey, what are you showing debt guy? Like, like I think people overcomplicate multifamily. And really what I want to instill is saying, Hey, look, know the numbers really quick. So that way you can communicate with the brokers with confidence. That way you can communicate with the debt with confidence because the bigger the deal you get, the more partners you have. And this is actually a safeguard in these bigger deals because the debt's going to, thoroughly look at the deal. The broker, when you, when you're my competition right now is these big institutions, whether it's Blackstone or Starwood, or you, you can go down the whole list. These guys are very, very professional and, and, and everything has to check a box. So the sooner you guys can get to these bigger deals, the less uh, risk or the less chance of, 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 of missing something actually occurs, which is crazy to think about. Man, that is, that is kind of nuts. At what point, uh, just out of curiosity, at what point do you, will you be a will you be a big institution? I mean, you guys are you guys are growing at such a fast pace. Well, look, we 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 slowed down our buying over the last eight ten months because of the shift. Um, we think that there's going to be a huge opportunity in the next twelve to twenty four months, especially as you know debt and maturities and where interest rates are, to buy assets at a great basis. What I mean by that is if you can buy a deal for 225 a unit and it costs 300 with inflation and everything else to build, we think that long term over 10 years, those are great buys. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, look, we're, we're, we're competing with them now. It really is just a function of how do you grow and scale the correct way? We're not in a hurry, but we know we'll get there. So, you know, we're just we're just really patient. You know, we, we are very conservative. I know a lot of people look at Grant Cardinal Capital. You know, Instagram is one thing, but when he goes and invests in money, like Grant has 
a lot of money investing in these deals. Like he literally takes his money invested in these deals. For me personally, all my net worth is invested in these deals. So we know it will come. It's just a matter of time. And the cool thing about it is we're doing it with retail investors. We're doing it with partners. Like when I say retail investors, this is just everyday folks. This is just like me and my family and David and Rob. And like, there's no middleman. So it may take a little bit longer, but when we do get there, it's going to be together, which is super awesome for us. It's amazing, man. What a journey. What a journey. I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited. I want, to, I want to connect with you after the podcast for sure. But we got one more segment for you, uh, if you're willing to indulge us. We call it Flight, Fight, or Fright. And uh, we have three questions for you that we want you to answer. That, that's uh, each one of those words. Is that cool? What is it? It's, it's Fight, Flight, or fright? Close. It's <laughs> it's flight, fight, or fright. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna uh, send you some some rapid fire questions here. All right. So first one, fright. What are the fears you had to overcome to get where you are? I had to overcome the fear of failure. Uh, when I first started working with Grant on that fifteen units or the forty units in forty days, I was actually terrified because I was like, "What if I fail? I won't have the opportunity." But I did it anyway. All right. Flight. When do you know to walk away from a deal, a job, or an opportunity? Uh, when the numbers don't make sense and there's no more growth. Okay. Last one. Fight. What were the hardest lessons you had to learn in real estate? Uh, the hardest lesson I had to learn was not uh, not doing it myself. So the hardest lesson that I had to learn was like, like in my mind, my dad always taught me that I want to control 100% of everything. The hardest thing for me to undo was that partnerships are really, really good. And they actually accelerate what you could achieve if you partner with the right people. Awesome. I like that. David, that, that's kind of like a, like a mental or like a mindset deal deep dive almost. It's like the, the mindset version of it. And Ryan, you gave awesome answers. It's almost like you've been training for this. And I didn't even have those. I didn't, I didn't even, nobody even prepped me for that. That was kind of like random. Well, thanks, Ryan. This has been an excellent show. We covered uh, how to get started with the advice that you have. It doesn't have to be perfect. So your uncle gave you some advice for how to get you going in real estate. You built a portfolio that eventually Grant Cardone told you was crap. But it doesn't matter because that crap got you to a point where it could even be called crap and you could put it into something better. We talked about the right way to reach out to somebody and we gave kind of a framework for everybody that's trying to get an opportunity. I hate the spaghetti against the wall method. Just send a bunch of DMs and hope that something sticks. Actually come with something feasible that you're proposing and uh, be humble. Like you said, just I'll work for free. Let me prove my way. But if you get in the right environment, that will get you to the top. You're now running Cardone Capital. Like if that's not a great example for everyone to follow. I don't know what is. We talked... We talked about underwriting deals quickly, right? Not getting too caught up in the mess. That does not mean that you're going to buy a property based off of a 43-second underwriting system, but it does mean that you're going to get your foot in the door and that you can move with the power players. Those brokers are trying to figure out who's legit and who's kicking tires, and you kind of put yourself as a front runner in that situation and then take some time to analyze the deals. And we talked about buying properties, thinking about the future, not just right now. What do you expect rents to do in that area? What do you expect jobs to do? in that area? Is there going to be more supply coming in or is supply somewhat constricted? When we had Grant on the show the first time, he actually talked about how he likes to buy in liberal areas because they are less likely to issue new building permits. And it's a way of kind of eliminating competition. It's a different way of thinking that your typical investor that just runs it through a calculator and says, yay or nay, is it taking into consideration? Rob, anything you want to add there? No, no. uh, You covered every single thing. And uh, just going back to your thing about you know, people reaching out and everything. You mentioned getting your foot in the door. 
there was this old adage back in the day or this old kind of uh, urban urban legend of this guy that really wanted to work at a very prestigious ad agency. And so what he did is he sent a shoe to the creative director with a note that said, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. So I just wanted to know, would that work on you, David? Do you think that would be a, a way to get through your DMs if everyone just sent you a shoe? No, that's the opposite of what I was just saying. People come with a plan. Don't try to be cute. Don't like, I'm so clever. I said, David, a shoe and I get the shoe. And I'm like, well, now what do I do with you? Like it just, it always sounds good when you hear the story and it just turns into a Cinderella tale. But no, that isn't, that's not, unless inside the shoe, you have a business plan and you tell me what your skills are and say, give me a shot. I'll do this thing for you. And then you can see how it looks. All right. Well, thank you, Ryan, man. This has been fantastic. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you and thank you for sharing things. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, uh, very easy, uh, social media, Ryan Secco, uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, cardonecapital.com. I mean, it's, w- I'm very out there. I'm very open. I typically give people my, my cell number, but I'll, I'll leave it for the, uh, the uh, social media and also the website. And Secco is spelled T S E K O. So that's R Y A N T S E K O. Go give Ryan a follow. Rob, how about you? Where can people follow you? Oh, you can find me over on Instagram or threads or uh, YouTube at Rob Built, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. I teach people how to do real estate, uh, Airbnb, short-term rentals, investing, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and everything in between. What about you, David? Find me at David Green 24 all over social media, including threads and Instagram and everything else, or uh, at David Green 24 on YouTube. My website's davidgreen24.com. So thank you for saying that. Uh, my, my social media used to be pretty boring, I will admit, but it's been stepped up quite a bit. So it's, it's fire now, my friend. You have done it. Absolute fire. If my social media had a glow up, it would be Ryan going from a pilot to Grant Cardone's pilot and now running Cardone Capital. So just like you don't want to miss out Ryan's story, you don't want to miss out on my social media. How was that, Ryan? So basically, David's social media is the Ryan Secco of social media. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. This is David Green for Rob the Fire Hydrant Abasolo. Signing out. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.